Hello, my name is Elizabeth Barrios. I'm the preschool ministry assistant here at Lake Avenue Church, and I'm also the STARS Middle School Program Leader for the Lake Avenue Community Foundation. Our scripture reading today is from Hosea 11 and Mark 9. Let's remain standing. In Hosea 11, verses 1 through 4, God recounts through the prophet Hosea how he had always dealt with his people with kindness, in spite of their pride and unfaithfulness. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more the people of Israel were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Israel's northern tribes to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love, To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Then, in Mark 9, verses 30 through 37, Jesus speaks about how we should deal with those who have often have been excluded from religious groups. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were, because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, church family. Good morning, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Awesome. Well, like Jeff said, my name is Perry and I am uh, the middle school pastor here at Lake Avenue Church. And I know what you're thinking. The long flowing locks of Samson hair is gone. May us mourn it well. Um, pastor Greg said, hey, if you want to speak in main service, you have to cut your hair. So I did. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. Jeff Madisich did. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I miss my hair, but it's great. Um, last time I spoke in main service, something has changed besides my hair. It is actually my family upgraded from the family of two to now a family of three. Um, so you're going to see a picture in just a moment. I have a little girl. She's actually over here. or she was over here. My wife took her out. Her name is Charlie Eliana Hawkins. Uh, do we have that picture of her coming up besides me? Give it a moment. Any second now. It's going to be awesome. There it is. There's my wife and her. Isn't she just really cute? I just want to give my wallet to her and be like, here, anything you want is yours. You can have it all, but she's great. Let's show the next picture. Um, so we're just doing a little superhero theme there. She's like my little baby dog. I get to dress her up in any way that I want, which is awesome. Um, but the interesting thing is, the more, that, the more that your child grows, you start to notice like a parent resemblance. Am I right? Like they start to look like one of the parents. And this next picture, I feel like she looks just like me. It's, it's crazy. I mean, just the resemblance and the five o'clock shadow is just uncanny. Man, you know, sorry if that gave you nightmares. Like for the rest of the week, you're like going to wake up screaming like, no, not the little Perry baby. It's terrifying. So anyways, 
Um, but what's interesting is when you have a baby, all of a sudden you just gain this newfound popularity. Like people don't want to talk to you, but now that you have a baby, you're really, really popular. Like my wife, she was at the store the other day and people just like want to come up and like meet the baby. And so this lady came up and she's like, is that your baby? And, the, and my wife's like, yeah. And she's like, oh, she's just beautiful. And she like walks away and giggles. What the reality is, is my entire, the, the carriage was covered and the woman couldn't see the baby. So it was just like this protocol that this woman just kind of said this thing that she always says, like, oh, it's beautiful. It could have been a dog inside the carriage, but she wanted to say beautiful. Um, but what's interesting, thing, which is interesting about that is, is this Sunday we're talking about this idea of kindness. And I think a lot of times when the world thinks of kindness, they think of something like that, which is kind of just like this plasticky smile, this routine thing of, of politeness, of Christianity being this, this, this movement of pushovers. But what I want to challenge you to this morning is, is we've got to exchange the plastic for something real, right? We've got to take that deeper. I think the world is looking at that and they're thinking, I don't know what to, what to do with that. I think the world is, is longing for something more, uh, a way that kindness was experienced in my family. Um, if you don't know this, I'm half white, half Mexican. I'm salt and pepper, true story. My great-great-grandfather, Angel de la Peña, which changed his name on the, on, when he got to the U.S. States to Angel Miranda, the story goes like this. My great-grandfather, Angel, was a great doctor in Mexico. And um, during that time, Pancho Villa's revolution was happening, and the people of Mexico were very split. Some people were really for Pancho Villa, and some people weren't. My, my great-grandfather had done his time in serving and, and wanted nothing to do with the rebellion of Pancho Villa. So Pancho Villa starts to write my great-grandfather some letters, asking him to come join him and his men. My great-grandfather does not respond. In fact, Pancho Villa writes him a couple letters. By the third letter, Pancho Villa says this. He says, listen... If you don't join me and my men, I'm going to come to your town, I'm going to find the nearest tree that I can find, and I'm going to hang you and your family on it. So what my great-grandfather thinks is, it's time to go. So he packs him and his family. My grandfather is not born at this time, but they are making their way to Arizona. And as, as they start to get towards the border area, and obviously the borders are not what they are today, but on the way they get stopped by these Americans that don't want to let them pass by. They're like, we know that there's something with you and that there's something wanted and we, we can't let you buy. My great-grandfather's like, listen, you have to let me buy. Pancho Villa's men are going to kill me. And they're like, no, listen, you can't pass. As this conversation is unfolding, my grandfather says, you start to see Pancho Villa's men riding on horseback to come and get them. My great-grandfather is pleading. He's saying, listen, you have to let us buy. They're going to kill my family. And the men are like, no, 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 no. We're not going to let this happen. So right as that happens, Pancho Villa's men ride up and guns are drawn. The Pancho Villa's men draw their guns and my great-grand... Or the, the Americans draw their guns. And there's this argument happening. In the middle of all of that, this man from America comes out, who my great-grandfather had never met, and says, hey, is your name so-and-so? Oh, this man's a great doctor from Cuba. We need to let him buy. We need to let, let him go through. Well, the funny thing about this is my great-grandfather had no idea who this man was. But in that moment, he's thinking either I admit or I don't. So the, my great-grandfather just goes, yeah, I remember you. Oh, yeah, yeah, thanks a lot. And so they pass by and Pancho Villa's men put down their guns and the Americans put down their guns. And that's how my family came to the States. It was a, as an act of kindness that was more than politeness. There was more than courteousness. It took action. 
I think our souls are longing for something more. I think that the church is longing for something more. Our co-workers, our friends, our families, our neighbors are longing for kindness to be something more. We want something real. And so anytime we want a deeper, a deeper uh, call out of this life, we know that we can look to Scripture. In Scripture, the story of God's sacrificial kindness and love for humanity and heart for humanity is so clear. And we see that first off, as the passage was written earlier in the book of Hosea, right? If you want to understand what's going on in Hosea, we have to know the background of what's happening during that time. Hosea is, is, is being a voice for God, and he's speaking to the group of the, the Israelites, and they have been elevated to a place of power, right? They have been rescued, they have been redeemed, they have been saved by God, and they are in this place of power and abundance. But during that time, the priests and the leaders start to lead the people away from their call of God and leading them away from the Pentateuch, and the people start to worship idols, right? They start to worship idols like Baal, and they start to forsake their first love. And so they are abandoning this story and this history of kindness of God And what God says to Hosea to illustrate this example, he says, listen, Hosea, here's what you're going to do. Hosea, you're going to marry, you're going to marry Gomer. And in fact, here's what's going to happen, Hosea, she's going to be unfaithful to you over and over and over. And yet, you're going to be kind to her. And what that's that's going to do is that's going to illustrate the kindness that I extend towards the people of this relationship. Even though Israel is unfaithful, I am kind to them because I, I am God. And so that's what's happening in this story. And as God is writing to them, you can almost see like God's heart for humanity come out. He's using a word to describe Israel as the word of as a child. He's saying, listen, when, when, you, were, when you were just a child, you were, you were defenseless. You, you were helpless. You weren't empowered. That's where I found you. I I, I pulled you in with cords of gentleness. I pulled you in with cords of love. And we see as God is, is reaching out to them, he even goes on to later on in this passage, which wasn't written, he says the words, how can I let you go? My love for you is so big. How can I let you go? God says the same thing about us. He looks at us and he says, listen, in your unfaithfulness, how can I let you go? In all of this unfaithfulness and self-centeredness, it was not enough to wipe out God's unrelenting love and, 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 and passion shown in specific acts of kindness, a love that goes beyond comprehension. Anytime that word kindness is used in which how God interacts with us, it's this, it's this uh, Hebrew word, hesed, which is kind of this combination of kindness and gentleness in which God is slowly pulling humanity back to him with kindness and gentleness. But we see that his kindness runs deeper than just this passage in Hosea, right? We see that kindness starts to take on human form in Jesus. Jesus enters into flesh. He is breathing, walking, embracing humanity, and he's showing his kindness. So in this passage that we read earlier in the book of Mark, we see this story that we just read is, is, is sandwiched in between two kind of things happening and which are both examples of God's kindness to, to the people that are the lowest of the low. So in this story, that's where we find the, the passage. And so what's happening is Jesus is predicting to the disciples for the second time. He's saying, listen, I'm going to be crucified. I, I'm going to die. This is going to happen. The disciples, they don't know what to do with this. And you would think they would do something with it. But along the way, instead of maybe having a conversation, say, Jesus, can you clarify that a little bit more? We don't know what to do with that. They start to have this argument about who's the greatest. 
The disciples, the lowest of the low, the least of these that were picked, some of the outcasts, they start to have a, a conversation about who is the greatest. And they go up to Jesus and say, listen, Jesus, we just want to know who is the greatest. Who is your VIP? Who's going to be on the VIP Platinum Club in heaven? Who is your Kobe to your shack? Who's on the inns? The bumbling disciples are asking Jesus that question. And what I love about Jesus is Jesus uses everything for a teaching moment. This is not a rhetorical question. This is actual a question. Who does Jesus grab to illustrate his point? I'm sorry, what was that? Who did he grab? He grabs the child, which is really interesting because I want to know who was the parent that just let this random guy take their kid. Like, here you go, take my kid. Um, but he grabs the child and he starts to use words like least of these. And he starts to use... And it, what is happening is really important that we see this is Jesus is using children for a very specific reason. Now, I know right now in society, we, we, we want to elevate kids, right? We, want, we value them. But during that time, kids were not of value. Kids were actually more of a hindrance. Kids were a distraction. The song by Whitney Houston, I Believe the Children of the Future, was not playing in the background. Peter would have been singing, I believe the children are annoying. That's what would have been happening. And yet, Jesus uses those children to illustrate his point we see the kindness of God gaining a real transparent description with his reference and inclusiveness of, inclusiveness of children. Do you see what he's doing in that passage? He's, he's giving the children power. Jesus is, is, is giving children power. He is dumbfounding the disciples who were once the lowly, and he is giving them power. Why is he doing that? Well, what here is, here's what's happening. Jesus is doing that because he is leveling the playing field. He's letting them know that his inclusiveness, his kindness extends to all humanity. His, his grace, his mercy, his call to come and follow him and repent extends to all of humanity. There's no hierarchy. It is extending to everyone. Friends, what we can learn once again, the same statement is all of this unfaithfulness and self-centeredness were not enough to wipe out God's relenting love shown in specific acts of kindness, a love that goes beyond comprehension. It's so interesting in 1 John, when they don't use male and female, they use the word children. In 1 John, he says this, he says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. Now what you're thinking, what do we do with that? Perry, give me something to do. Well, I, I want to stop you for just a second. My first point, I want us to just camp out. My first point in exchanging the plastic for something real is knowing his kindness allows us to know the intimate heart of God. We want to go back to fundamentals and just camp out there for a second. Whatever you grew up with, as far as your, your upbringing, as far as your parents, as far as your environment, the chances are the environment in which you were raised... Is that, is that is how you will probably view God. For example, I am a child of an alcoholic, but I've been redeemed and restored by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so as along my journey of following Jesus, I had the tendency to view God more as a stern father, more as a di disciplinary father. My idea of kindness was out of whack. The gravitational pull was pulling me way over to sternness, and I was never fully resonating with kindness until my longevity of journey with Christ. I'm sure we can relate to that. I had a roommate whose father used to make him write out Proverbs as a, as a disciplinary act. He would have to write out the book of Proverbs when he got in trouble. So I'm sure he saw God as just a stern God. Now don't get me wrong. God's sternness is righteous. Amen? 
his sternness is, is in the right way, but I think we forget, I think we gravitate over to this one side. In Romans it says this, Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. The Apostle Peter, in the beginning of his journey with Jesus, he is fishing on the boat. We know that Peter is not a good fisherman, and Jesus comes on the boat, tells him to cast the net on the side, and he fills it up with fish. And Peter's starting to realize this could be the Messiah, this could be divine. And so in that moment, Peter's first reaction is to drop on his knees and say, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Are you kidding me, Peter? Jesus came onto your boat, and you're telling Jesus to go away? Now, why would Peter do that? I would, I, would, I would argue that Peter was referencing his Jewish upbringing of the stern righteousness of God, rightfully so, knowing that in our sin we can't be in the presence of God, and he is gravitating more so towards the sternness of God, expecting that, but then Jesus surprises him with kindness. He says, Peter, I want you to come follow me and make me fishers of men. Jesus extends kindness to Peter draws him back to repentance, draws his life to change. I love that story because he chooses Peter, bumbling Peter, holding the record for home runs and holding the record for strikeouts at the exact same time, and yet he extends this kindness to Peter. So what do we do with that? How do we live that out? Well, kindness becomes a grace-filled posture towards humanity that is rooted in love and is always connected with action drawing all of creation back towards him, a sacrificial life of other-centered living. Friends, that should dictate how we live, doing life with each other, how we interact as a body of Christ. So for my second point, to exchange the plastic for something real, we want to embrace a kindness that is unifying to the body of Christ for the sake of the gospel to the world. I think we really struggle sometimes. In issues of theological debate, I'm not talking about theology of whether or not Jesus is divine. I think we can all hopefully agree on that. But I think little issues or moral issues, man, we really get into it. I want to tell a story. When I was young, I was 18 years old, and I was a hip-hop evangelist. You can laugh, it's okay. Um, I would go to places and rap about Jesus. Okay? Okay. we would do this in Arizona on Mill Avenue, which is the main strip for ASU students, which is the biggest, one of the biggest colleges in the U.S. And so we'd sit on a corner, and people would break dance, and we would rap about Jesus, okay? So we'd sit there, and we'd evangelize by rapping about Christ. While that's going on, on another corner, there's another group who's playing these drums, which that's their evangelism. And then on another corner, there's a group passing out tracks about Christ. And on another corner, there's a bullhorn group yelling things about Christ. And so that day, I had gotten done spitting my flow, rapping. And so I decided to walk over to uh, the, the, the bullhorn group. And I decided that I needed to have an argument with them. So me and this guy are having this conversation, and we're, we're yelling at each other. Meanwhile, people are passing by, watching these two Christians argue with each other and have it out and duke it out. Ironically, the next day, I worked at a YMCA. I'd never seen this guy before. He showed up to the same YMCA that I worked at. It was a really awkward experience. But I tell that story to say this. Defensiveness and kindness can't go hand in hand. Now, I know what you're thinking, like, oh, no, 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 they really need to know, they really need to know, know this, this thing about what I need to teach them, but I would, I, would, I would question you and say, is that rooted in kindness and love, or is that rooted in pride? 
Is that rooted in your need to be right? How many times have we looked on social media or Facebook and we see, we know that's happening right now, there's so many issues happening, but we see somebody put a feed down and then somebody writes back, here's, here's a fact from CNN or here's a fact from Fox News. Let me really get you. Let me really lay it into you. Let me show you how dumb you are. It happens all the time, but here's the, here's the hard part. The rest of the world is watching that. The rest, the rest of the world is watching us bicker with each other. When I was a kid, I came from a divorced family, and I remember the, neighbor, or the, the, the family that I would go hang out with, my mom would work late, was a family that was intact. A family that had food on the table by like 6 o'clock. A family that really engaged well with each other and were nice to each other. I did that because I felt safe. I did that because I felt good. Think about the rest of the world, and they're wanting to enter into something that is safe and good. They need to see us brothers and sisters extending kindness to each other. A kindness that is sacrificial, that maybe in those moments where we, we want to speak out, we want to say something, instead we sacrifice our right to speak and extend kindness by listening. Listening to our brothers and sisters. Waiting before we throw stones. And from there, we take it even deeper. We exchange the plastic for something real when we are kindly drawing the world back towards him, especially the outsider. I'm going to say that again, especially the outsider. Right now there's this huge movement. It's called Random Acts of Kindness. It's been around for a while, but it's getting really popular, am I right? How many of you all have seen the the Honda commercials, the, the helpful Honda people? All five of you. Awesome. I'll tell you what, I have been waiting, I have been waiting for them to come and fix my dent in my car. I'm like, come on, help a Honda people, help me out, do something great. Some of you might think like, well, they're they're just do-gooders, they're not really helping the world, they're not saying anything about Jesus, but I would beg to differ that there's something beautiful that's happening, that we need to look at that and actually adopt that and one-up it. Because we know that there's been situations in our life where somebody has randomly given us a check without a name, and it's impacted us for our love for Christ, am I right? Or there's been time where we've needed food and somebody provided food and they didn't say who they were and we've, it's impacted our love for Christ. But friends and family, we want to take that one step deeper. People of my generation, older and younger, I want to challenge you in this as we take it deeper. There's such a temptation when you do an act of kindness to get a picture with it. Am I right? It's like, hey, hey, it's me, Tom, just hanging out with orphans here in this third world country, doing the good work of Jesus. Like, snap the photo. Right? I want to ask you a question. Here's my question. This goes for everybody, okay? If an act of kindness tree falls in the woods and there is no iPhone around to capture it, does it make a selfie? If you do an act of kindness and no one sees it, does it have an impact? Absolutely. We want to take it even d- deeper, and we want this kindness to extend to somebody that doesn't look like us, somebody that doesn't act like us. And friends, it's not momentary. It is nonstop. It is deeply, deeply relational. When I was 10 years old, I was riding my bike along the canal in Arizona, and the canals are about six inches of water, but I was afraid of the undertow of the canal. And somehow I'd fallen into the canal with my bike, okay? I'm, I'm, I fell into the canal with my bike, and my friend tried to get me out with my other bike, and he let the bike go, and so I have two bikes in the canal, and I'm panicking because of the six-inch undertow, and I'm screaming, okay? In the middle of all that, some random guy runs over, pulls the bikes out, pulls me out, and looks at me and says, I helped you because I was a Christian, and runs away. I'm not kidding, that's a true story. And I was like, what? Like, 
What just happened? I tell that story because here's what's tempting for us. We would love to have the Superman on our chest jump into the neighborhood and say, here I am, neighborhood, here I am as the Savior, here I go, I'm going to feed you one time and I'm going to fly away. Because it's noble, right? But if kindness is relational, it goes so much deeper than that. It's sacrificial. It takes dedication. It takes time. We have the, ten- we have the tendency to just throw out the, world with the words boundaries and balance, and we use those as an excuse sometimes to not take this kindness deeper. If it doesn't feel good, or it's hard, or it doesn't yield results, that means we must not, it must not be a good thing. But friends, our neighborhoods, our families are needing something more. Kindness is a sacrificial action that dumbfounds the world for the sake of the gospel. So the world is thinking, I didn't expect it to extend this far. I didn't expect it to run this deep. The world is so used to us being the morality police. They're so used to us going on the news and telling about what's right or wrong, but what if the world is is needing something else to draw them to the presence of Christ and into repentance and into pursuing Jesus? What if the world is asking us for us to really, really see them? What if the world is crying out from the depths of their being, saying, be kind to me, see me as a brother or sister, see the humanity in me, see the worth in me, see the hope in me, be sacrificial towards me, get to know my story then you can extend a kindness into my situation that makes sense for me. In just a moment, we're going to watch a kindness like that. It's a story of former sixth man of the year, Karan Butler, who was an NBA player for, for many, many years. But his story goes like this. Up until the age of 15, Karan Butler was arrested multiple times, starting out when he was about eight or nine years old, and he was selling dope uh, multiple times. He started selling dope when he was doing his paper route, and that's all that him and his friends would do because that was their only way to afford some of the things that they desired. And that was, that was, that was his reality of everything that was going on around him. So at the age of 15, Karan Butler had got arrested one last time, was in jail for a year, and in that place, he decided to change his life. Fell in love with basketball. He gets out, gets a job at Burger King, and is living the straight and narrow. But this is where kindness really comes in. Let's watch. On January 22nd, I drafted a search warrant for Karan's home at the time. I heard the boom, boom, and I looked out at the the window, and I saw that it was attack force members everywhere. I think I was a year and a half removed from anything negative. I was doing nothing but good, and I just covered myself up because I knew they was coming upstairs, and they came up, threw the cover off of me, and, you know, handcuffed me. And I basically said the word is that there is dope that's coming out of this house. And I think his response at the time was, I am not messing with dope right now. The rest of my team started searching. And at one point in the garage, we located 15.3 grams of crack cocaine. They did find narcotics in the garage. Um, Was not mine. I know what usually happens in situations like that. I had an uncle that went down for a situation that he wasn't responsible for. So I was worried. I really was. <laughs> Say at least. You know, if, if Karan would have been charged that night, he would have been looking at, I think, a minimum of 10 years in prison. Anytime we execute a search warrant, we take photographs 
of all of the individuals inside of a house, I could tell he he was just in disbelief that all of this was happening. I had a conversation with my immediate supervisor, who said, "You've got enough, charge him." And I said to my lieutenant, "I don't believe this kid had any idea that this dope was here, and I think to charge him would be a huge mistake." And the lieutenant's response was, "If you think it would be a huge mistake, then we don't do it." They came back and he just uncuffed me. He said, "I hope I'm not making a mistake." <laughs> that was it. And he said, uh, "I'm the officer that." Made it possible for you and your family to be okay, and I was like, man, you know, I ain't never met you. And he told me the story behind of it, and you know, he had a decision to make that could have changed the the whole landscape of everything right now. So I'm extremely grateful to him for that. Well, after that day, we communicate on a regular basis. During the course of the season, if I'm playing good or if I'm having bad moments, he's always texting, calling. He's always watching over me. I know that. Sixteen years ago, you had a very, very scared kid. Sixteen years later, you have a star in the NBA, and uh, off the court, just never forgot where he came from. As far as doing for people less fortunate, I mean, the good that has come out of one small decision that I made is just—I I, there's times where I can't even fathom it. In the same way. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew 5:16. I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, but wait a minute, that that police officer broke protocol. He should have let that go to the court system. Let the court system handle that. But I, I would say to you, and, and, and the rest of us, thank goodness he broke protocol for the sake of the gospel and extended his kindness to his neighbor. Thank goodness. When I was 20 or 22 years old, and I couldn't get a loan because of my financial history with my family, that the administrative assistant broke the protocol to give me finances to go to APU. Thank goodness, thank goodness that years and years ago, Abraham Lincoln broke protocol and said it is not right to own human beings to treat them as slaves. They need to be, they need to have rights, they need to have freedom. Thank goodness, Abraham Lincoln years ago broke protocol. Thank goodness that God looked at our broke, thank goodness that God broke protocol and looked at our rebellion and says. How can I let you go? Thank goodness that Jesus broke protocol by choosing the lowest of the lows in his followers. Thank goodness that Jesus broke protocol by when there was a time when the Pharisees had their hands to stone this woman caught in adultery. Jesus walks over, draws a line in the sand, and says, "You without sin, throw the first stone." Thank goodness that Jesus broke protocol with the weight of sin and death and humanity that sentenced us to death. But he broke protocol by breaking the laws and, and coming down and, and, and defeating the power of sin and death in the cross. Thank goodness that we have a Jesus that does that for that. Thank goodness that Jesus extended kindness 
to humanity. All of this unfaithfulness and self-centeredness were not enough to wipe out God's relenting love, shown in specific love and acts of kindness, a love that goes beyond comprehension. With that, it is us that is modeling a grace-filled posture towards humanity that is rooted in love and that is always connected with action, drawing all of creation back towards him, a sacrificial life of other-centered living. That kind of kindness, I mean, it permeates everything. And in, in Scripture, it's so funny that in the fruit of the Spirit, that word kindness just keeps kind of coming up. It, it, it can't be disconnected. It's like kindness connected with, with, uh, with mercy, kindness connected with patience. It's like, it's like cranberry juice, right? Remember in the 90s and 2000s when all of a sudden they started throwing cranberry juice in with everything? They're like, hey, what's that lemonade? Let's put cranberry juice in that. Hey, what's that root beer? Let's put cranberry juice in that. It just connects with everything, so it matters on all levels. I mean, even the small ones. I was driving to work the other day, and somebody was driving next to me, and they decided to show me their favorite part of their hand, um, him and his girlfriend or something like that. And so in my being, I'm driving next to them, and honestly, I did this, so please forgive me, but I drove up next to him, I turned next to him, and I go, like that. By the way, if you're here, I'm so sorry. Like, I was afraid. I was like, man, what if they go to Lake Avenue Church? That stuff matters. It matters on the, on the small levels. It matters, it matters on the big levels. Friends, you and I, we want to adopt a kindness that sacrifices much and gives much because so much kindness was given to us by Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that you broke protocol of, the, of what the weight of sin and death had for us and you gave your life for us. We deserved that punishment, and yet you sacrificed your life for us so we could have life. Thank you, Jesus. God, may our kindness extend deep to our neighbors, to our families. Help us to truly live that out. God, it's in your holy, powerful name we pray. Amen. Kurt's going to come up and share uh, from our neighborhood foundation about um, something that's going to take this a little bit deeper. Thank you, Perry. Thank you for redefining what kindness is from a biblical perspective. Uh, I would like to show you a video in just a moment of how uh, a couple in our church lives out what this idea of kindness here in our own neighborhood, uh, volunteering for Lake Avenue Community Foundation. Uh, and you'll quickly recognize the setting is at 500 Villa, just three blocks this way. So check this video out. What is this place? It's a refuge. It's a refuge to young people. It's a place where they can come and expand their minds. Having the kids blossom and bloom under our tutelage. They can keep on growing. That's what it is. It's wonderful to watch people grow. It's rewarding because you sort of feel like you've had a part in that development and it's just wonderful to see that transformation and we just have lots of fun together I guess a good mentor is someone who's always just there for their mentee I'd like to say that it was something magnificent but it wasn't it was my wife saying you're going to go to tutor with me <laughs> it was basically that simple 
always kind of had a heart for kids, particularly kids who need a little extra help. I don't know how much I personally help, but I think the presence of adults help. Where I began. In the future, if I have kids, you know, be like Wendell, you know. He's always great with his wife, always hanging around, always smiling, always happy with his family. I guess that's what makes Wendell a great guy. He teaches me a lot, a big role model. Vivi and Sabrina are the two girls that I started tutoring in first grade. And just as time developed, they're now in ninth grade. They graduated from eighth grade, and I went to both graduations. Liz has always been there for me. She would always take me to these plays that I loved, and it was like super creative plays, and we would have so, like a lot of bonding together. She was always there for me. She was just a perfect second mom. They're just so dear to me, but my two little girls. They're just blossoming into such beautiful young ladies. The leadership of Lake Avenue Church is giving Lake Avenue Community Foundation a wonderful gift this morning, and that is a chance to uh, start off our new fiscal year with a with an offering this morning. So, I uh, just want to warn you uh, that that's coming right now. And if you would please uh, write your check to Lake Avenue Community Foundation or just LACF. Uh, Nancy Stiles stood up here three, four weeks ago and shared with you about the amazing things that had happened this summer, how we had filled this place with kids like we never had before. And uh, I just want to give you a little bit of a follow-up on that. Uh, five years ago, our STARS program, uh, tutoring program that works with kids four days a week, uh, was running approximately 70 students from this immediate community. And today it has doubled size and we're running 150 students. Uh, we're very excited about that, yes. And the amazing thing that that also leads to, yes, is the relationships that we were able to connect them to as we uh, move students into our mentor program, which is where they really get to hear the message of the gospel and learn how uh, to live out uh, what it means to uh, love Christ with everything that you do and you know. And these students, as they experience that, I get to watch this transformation. One of the students that uh, I'm so excited about, uh, his name is Oscar, and please pray for Oscar. He is the first person in his family to go off to college and he is a freshman now at Grand Canyon University in the Phoenix, Arizona and uh, he is uh, someone who was mentored by uh, Wendell here and uh, we're just so excited about him and this, uh, this, this next phase of his life. I would like to invite if there's anyone here who works for Lake Avenue Church or board members to come on down. I'd love to uh, introduce you uh, to them. Do we have I see we have Mara Livers here, who is our board chair, and Tony uh, coming in on the side here uh, is a 30-hour-a-week is a volunteer for us that basically handles our accounts receivable, among other things, and she has just been a huge blessing to us to have somebody that reliable year after year. And standing next to me is John Lewis that you might recognize. Uh, John is our newest board member, and uh, he is going to... Uh, uh, take our offering, but I have a question for you, and that is, could you tell us why you give to Lake Avenue Community Foundation? Sure. Thanks, Kurt. Um, well, I can summarize why we give to Lake Avenue Community Foundation in three words. 
uh, community, relationship, and transformation. So we do believe that we have, because we're here, we have a special responsibility for our immediate community. And that's part of what the foundation is about. The second thing is relationship, because everything that happens at the foundation is about relationship. It's not some dispassionate uh, government program. This is about relationship between tutors and students, mentors and their protégés, and that's what brings about the last word, which is transformation. Um, This is not just students becoming more academically capable, although that happens. It's about them reaching their potential and about them understanding how that potential fits in the context of knowing Jesus Christ. And it's that combination of transformation in our community through relationship that makes this something worth giving to. So with that, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward uh, so that we can take the offering. And if you would join me in prayer. Mighty God, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your sovereign grace in our lives. Thank you that that includes sovereignly placing us in the here and now in this specific place. Thank you for this community that is our responsibility to care for, to love, and to show kindness to. We don't just accept that responsibility, Father. We rejoice in it. We thank you for it. We thank you for the work of the Lake Avenue Community Foundation, for the relationships between students and tutors and mentors, and the kind of transformation we see through the gospel and through relationship, and not just a drive-by kind of relationship, but a we're-with-you kind of relationship, the kind of kindness that you have shown us. We pray now that we would, in response to your grace to us, show grace to them as we participate even now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Maria Bolin has also slipped in, and she is our newest staff member that's overseeing our work at Villa 500. And I'm going to show you the part two of the video that uh, uh, you just witnessed uh, that I think just so thoroughly illustrates this idea of this kindness that we are able to provide to uh, families in our immediate community. It's important because it's needed, number one. It's definitely needed in the community. And it's important because I, I really feel the Lord put it here, you know. We don't always know what the measure of that will be. We may not always see the outcome, but uh, it is important that we be here for these young people. Because it's rewarding, you sort of feel like you've had a part. We get along with those kids and they come up and give us hugs and make us feel good. <laughs> I do enjoy it. Yes, I come in, there are some fresh, friendly faces. They're fresh each day you see them, but they're always friendly. To hear my name called out by these kids and think we're going to sit down at a table and we're going to learn something today, it's it's a wonderful feeling. You know that they care for you and you care for them. I mean, nobody told their family, like, oh yeah, take these two guys in because we need to. No, they do it because they want to. We appreciate that, you know. Listen, Wendell, you guys mean so much to me. I am truly honored to have you in my life. Um, I love you guys so much. I'm a father of five, a grandfather of five. I love children. I don't know why. It's something the Lord gave this guy called Wendell Watts. Boy, if you're looking for something to do that's fun and valuable, volunteer for stars. (laughs) found me. 
for that absolutely I love Lake because the longer you stick around Lake the more that you continue to see this this Christ filled sacrificial kindness bubbling up in so many different pockets it is beautiful and that is just one of the many examples of what God is doing here so friends a few things is before we go uh, just a few things for you um, if you're desiring, desiring prayer and you feel like there's something that God has put on your heart that might have something to do with what I said or absolutely nothing what I, nothing what I said, which is fine. Uh, there are people that love Jesus and love listening and love praying. They're going to show up to my left, your right, over here. Um, if you want somebody to pray with, please take them up on that opportunity. They are amazing prayer warriors, and they will be um, there for you. Um, over here in this lit up sign over at the connect way if you're new here and this is your first time here we would love to connect with you hear your story connect you into a ministry or a small group or to serve one of those things all you have to do is go to that sign go through the door ask the troll the three questions or whatever no, i'm just kidding um but if you go through that door there should be a group to help greet with you um, and connect with you and also outside in the hallway if you're wanting to know more about the foundation and what they do or how to be involved there's going to be a table out there with some information um so with that We're going to do the benediction. So family of Christ, would you mind standing with me as I read out of Romans? Romans Romans 15, 5 through 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Go and live it out, family. We'll see you.